You know, we start out that the, this morning's worship set um, thinking about the battles and singing about the battles that we face and, and God being sovereign over all, all of those things. And then we sing here about Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, made a way for us to be in relationship with God the Father, giving us our place in his eternal kingdom where nothing can hurt us, nothing can stain us. It's a shame, isn't it, church, that we oftentimes find ourselves trusting in ourselves and not him. Well, He is our sovereign God, and uh, we are here, and it's about us proclaiming His mighty name, and we're so glad you are with us. Go ahead and have a seat. And as you have a seat, we always want to make sure we enter into our time um, with the Word of God open. Um, we want to enter into that time with prayer. And so, um, we believe that in this church that if, a, if an individual or a church or a family is going to thrive in their relationship with the Lord, they must first humble themselves before Him. And uh, so we're going to do that. That's what prayer is. It's us humbly going before Him and saying, you are better than me. You are the reason why I can actually live and breathe and have my being. It's because of you. I can't do a single thing apart from you, God. And, uh, and I confess that to you. I fail. And then we cry out to Him and help asking for help. This is, this is the fullest expression we have of humility. I need you, God, because apart from you, I am nothing. So we're going to pray, and I would ask you whatever posture, the position you're sitting in right now, this, you, you're like the most humble posture you can take, that you would do that right now. And uh, let's, let's approach the Lord in prayer, okay? Father, we do humble ourselves before you right now. Lord Jesus, we know you are the one that humbled himself to the point where you became obedient to the plans of God the Father going to the cross, suffering at scorn and shame, doing it with great joy, making a way for us to be in relationship with God the Father through you. Lord, we, we claim that truth right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit that you give each one that you have claimed as your own, that our lives would declare you. Lord, as we move on into our service today, it's such a wonderful privilege to, to worship you, it's such a wonderful privilege to open your word, and Lord, as your word is open before us, I ask I ask that you would be the one that would declare your truth. Lord, if there is anything that I have put on paper that you do not intend to be said today, don't let me say it. If there is anything that I have not put on paper this past week that you intend to be said, I pray, Lord, that you would bring it. Thank you for your word, and I ask, Lord, that that's what you would declare through me today. You would open the hearts of your church to hear and to receive what you have. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, kids. Well, next week, um, next week's going to be a fun time for you and us because we're going to be outside again. And I've actually been looking forward to that. It's been a long time since we've had a service outside. And if you remember last summer, that's what we did. That's how we had church together. That's how we gathered together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we get to do that again next week, followed by a cookout hamburgers, hot dogs, and it's a chance for us simply to fellowship together over food, to connect with one another. And uh, 
I believe it's going to be a great time. And so let's pray for good weather, um, because the only thing that would drive us inside, I believe, would be rain. And so come prepared for that. But uh, kids, you know, we are, well, if you're new with us, you are seeing that we don't have a, a regular um, kids ministry rolling right now. And uh, we are, please know this, um, your elders and staff are working hard to find someone to oversee our kids ministry. So you can be praying about that. Um, but there are times that we bring the kids into the sermon itself and we ask them to be involved in it. Well, next week is going to be a special time for you kids because you're going to be more involved in that service than, than typically speaking. But today, I want to begin by telling you kids um, a bit of a story. It's actually not my story. It's one that's been recorded in God's Word in His Bible. So kids, I want you to pay a special, specially close attention right now, okay? I'm not a great storyteller, but I believe that you can fill in the blanks that are necessary, and if I am not able to, you can ask your parents, because I know they know the story that I'm going to share, an account that comes from, from 1 Kings chapter 2. And so here we go, all right? A man by the name of Solomon had a dream. So, like, a long time ago in a land far, far away, and it really was a long time ago, because it was near 3,000 years ago that this man lived, and that God turned this massive kingdom of Israel over to Solomon to rule, in a place thousands of miles away from here. He said, God said, you're the next one to rule over the people of Israel. Now, here's what's kind of crazy to me. Um, it seems like every indication would suggest that this man, Solomon, was 20 years old when he took over the reign of Israel uh, from his father, David. Now, we know that David was a man after God's own heart, and after David um, fulfilled all of the obligations that Jesus, or excuse me, that God laid out for him um, to fulfill as the king, he turns it over to Solomon. And so Solomon is 20 years old when he begins to reign. So my son, Caden, is not feeling well today, so he's at home. He is the closest one right now I know that's like 20 years old. So I, I would assume there are 20-year-olds in here, and even as I look around, I see a group over here. Ollie Kent is going to stand up right now. Kirk, you're going to stand up. Here are two 20-year-olds. Now imagine, imagine, adults, let's imagine this. They're running the United States of America. We'll say they can do it together. 20 years old, combined 40 years. You can have a seat now. But now think about this, 20 years old, and God says, you're going to rule the kingdom. And so Solomon has a dream. And in this dream, he's in a place called Gibeon, the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said to him, ask what I shall give to you. Straight to Solomon, he says that, ask what I will give to you. Kids, if God came to you in a dream tonight, what would you, and he said to you, ask what you will of me and I'll give it to you. What are the things that you're going to ask for? And I know this, I don't connect with the kids bulletin very often, but Layla sat right behind me. She was sitting right behind me. She helped me out. She shared the bulletin with me. And I know there's a section in the kids bulletin where you can actually draw pictures. And I'm asking you to draw a picture of the things that you would ask God for. All right? And after you draw a picture of those things that you would ask God for, because he said, ask of me, I want you to try and draw a picture of something called wisdom. Is there anything that comes to your mind when you think of the word wisdom? 
And I want you to try and draw a picture of that. And if you're not able, maybe after the service or before bed tonight or at lunchtime or whenever, you can talk to your parents about what it would look like to draw a picture of wisdom. All right? And then in verse 7 of 1 Kings chapter 2, the Lord God, this is, this is Solomon right now saying, and now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant, he says, you have made me king in place of my father David. Although I am but a little child, 20 years old, I do not know how to go out or come in. Oh, imagine that. He's king of Israel and he has no idea what he's doing. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So adults, what would you ask for? If you're 20 years old and you're given responsibility over the people of God, what would you ask him for? I know you know the answer, but we're not going to suppose that you know the answer. Because here's very often what I believe we would ask for. I said to the staff this past week, Without even telling them what we're going to be, what I'm thinking and where I'm going in scriptures regarding wisdom, I said to them, what would you ask for? And you know what they said? That all of my kids would be saved. That is an absolutely noble and right thing to ask God for. What would you ask God for? Some parents of prodigals would say, I would pray that my prodigal child, I would ask God to bring my prodigal child home. Some have lost loved ones, and you would say, God, please give me that loved one back. How about the sick? Those who have lost their health, and it's inhibited their ability to live life as they used to be able to, they would say, I want my health back. Please, God, give me my health back. Broken marriages. God, please fix my husband. God, please fix my wife. And then there are those who are financially ruined. They might ask God for money because I know that would be the answer to my problems. Did you know this, that nearly 70% of all people that come into big money end up broke anyway? And nearly a third of them end up in bankruptcy when they come into big money. So even if God gave them money, left to themselves, they'll end up in trouble again anyway. Those who have wrecked their lives maybe would say, God, please just let me do this all over. I want to start all over because I've made an absolute wreck of my life. But we know that Solomon in verse 9, he says, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. What a spectacular prayer. What a spectacular request. Give me understanding to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this people of yours? And this was God's response to Solomon. He said, Scripture says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or light, the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. This is what I'm going to do for you. Behold, I do, or I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Solomon asked God for wisdom in order to govern the people that he had given him charge of, and God gave it to him. 
Why is Solomon's request and God's answer such a big deal? And here's why, church. Because all of life is a test whether we like it or not. We're in the book of James right now, and we're looking at what it means to have real faith, and it begins by saying this, that we're to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of various kinds, and they come in all different forms. And they're intended to test your faith, to cause you to persevere, so that you ultimately would end up being mature and complete, not lacking anything. I would call that a process of growing in wisdom we would grow in wisdom as we suffer through the things. You know what? Even as I say that suffering, even the trials we face sometimes are very pleasant. Very pleasant. Let's say you're given a bonus that you weren't expecting. It's a trial. How are you going to use that to honor God and not yourself? All of life is a test, but we are just like Solomon. Solomon asked God for wisdom God gave it to him, and while he possessed this wisdom that comes from above, he decided, and you can read it in Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 2, he thought, I'm going to put the things that God has given me to the test. Every blessing that he has given me, I'm going to put to the test. And so he, based on his own wisdom, thought, I'm going to see if I can bring fulfillment in ways other than God has for me. God has entrusted to us, let's call them, He has entrusted to each one of us, maybe not an entire kingdom like He did Solomon, but He has entrusted to you and He entrusted to me these little micro, let's just call them this, little micro portions of His kingdom to manage for Him for His sake and for His glory. And as He has entrusted these things to us, we either use these things to serve and glorify Him, or we use these things to serve and glorify our, ourselves. Real faith, church. Real faith is expressed through wisdom. Real faith is on display when we act with the wisdom of God, and that brings us to our passage today. So if you will turn to James chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18. Real faith, church. Verses 13 to 18. And this is what James says. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So today's big question, James asks it immediately. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's our big question today. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now he's speaking to the church, 
And so I would suspect then that he would say that we were to look to the left and to the right and the seats we're sitting in. He would ask us to look to the front and the back. And who are those in your midst that you would consider to be wise and understanding? And maybe even more to the point, he would want you to start thinking introspectively. Would others around me consider me to be a person who is wise and understanding? So, the question is for you. Who is wise and understanding among us? What would others have to say about you? James wastes no time in bringing an answer, does he? Who is wise and understanding among you? This is the one who is wise and understanding among you. The one who by his good conduct shows his works in the meekness of wisdom. So in other words, he lives in accordance with the way God would say he should live his life. That's the one who possesses wisdom. And he receives it in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is one of those, um, it's a fuzzy word for me. Because it sounds like trouble is right here, and the one who is meek finds himself sitting mouse, like, like a mouse in the corner, letting the trouble pass by because he doesn't want to involve himself in it. I don't, that's, that's not an accurate description of what meekness is. Meekness is this. Meekness is strength under control. When trouble is in front of you, when the challenge is in front of you, you with meekness express your strength as you are in control. A humble trust, let me put it this way, a humble trust that says, I am good with whatever God causes or permits to come into my life. I'm good with it. God is my strength. I express it through meekness, and I am good with God being in control of my life. Strength under control, meekness. Wisdom. This is not my definition. I believe it would be John Piper's definition that which directs my attitude and actions toward the things that God causes or permits to come into my life. That's what wisdom is. It's that which directs my attitudes and actions. Everything I think and everything I do that God causes or permits to come into my life. So, if, I, if my conduct is supposed to be godly and it's based on His wisdom, and I receive this, and I act in accordance with the meekness of wisdom that God presents to me. Let's call meekness of wisdom a quiet confidence that's at peace with whatever comes my way. Meekness of wisdom. Good conduct shown in works is wisdom proven by attitude and action. If we have the right attitude, the right action will definitely follow. And there's evidence of that. The answer, the answer to James' question, who is wise and understanding among you, is the one who has good conduct based on the wisdom that God provides him. And the evidence is played out as life brings its various trials our way and puts our faith to the test and calls us to persevere, as James has said, so that we would ultimately be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's proven in the context of life's various trials and how we respond to them. Think of it in these terms. That same guy who asked God for wisdom, Solomon, he said this. You know it. 
Proverbs chapter 3, he says, you come to this Y in the road and you're given a choice. You can either trust in the Lord with all your heart or you can lean on your own understanding. And so right now we're presented with two different kinds of wisdom that James begins to address here. There's the meekness of wisdom that comes from God, it comes from above, trust in the Lord with all your heart, or you choose to lean on your own understanding and you choose to go this way, and we'll call that a man-centric form of wisdom. You are determining what is best for your life and how I'm supposed to respond to things that come into my life instead of let God determine, trusting in Him, what is the best way to respond to the things that life brings before me. So, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And then James goes on to say, let's look at what man's wisdom on display looks like. This is what it looks like. This is leaning on your own understanding. Verse 14, but if you have, think about how your heart feels when I read these words. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast, or as the New American Standard says, do not be arrogant and be false to the truth. Don't deny the truth. Don't lie about the truth. Verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. It is unspiritual. And James goes so far as to say it is demonic. This is man's wisdom. This is man's understanding. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Pay close attention. Pay close attention to the source of this wisdom. This is wisdom that doesn't come from above. He calls it earthly, he calls it unspiritual, and he calls it demonic. This is us on earth deciding what is best for us. Man-centric wisdom. How am I going to respond to the trials that come my way? I'm going to make decisions based on what will hurt me the least. That's really the decision we make. That's the source. We are the source. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, and I think even of Solomon as he had God's wisdom, he chose on his own to lean on his own understanding and think in terms of what would satisfy him the most. We let life determine how we should live. It is earthly, unspiritual, and this is a hard one. It, James even goes so far to say it's demonic. So, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, I would not suggest that he is saying here that you are demon-possessed, but I would say as you are making decisions apart from the Holy Spirit of God in you and the wisdom that he has provided you, I would go so far as to say, and I believe James does too, that what he's saying is you are permitted yourself to be under the influence of the enemy. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's a man-centric wisdom. That's its source. Look at man's response to his own wisdom. And from that comes bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, 
boasting, or arrogance. Man, when I read those words, that's not a great place to be, is it? You know what it's like. It's not just jealousy. I want that thing. I want what I have for no one else to have. It's not just that. It's a bitter jealousy that rips you up inside, that causes your stomach to churn, that has your nerves on edge. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and because I can't have what I want, I'm going to selfishly go after it with all my might. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is the result of a man-centric wisdom, and look at what its outcome is. Disorder in every vile practice. Let me provide you an illustration that comes from Ephesians, all right? Ephesians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. The Apostle Paul says to the church of Ephesus, I want you to look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise or the man-centered wisdom person that's driven by that. I want you to live as wise. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, the opposite of wisdom, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on to say, do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. Let's put it this way, do not get drunk with wine, because that leads to disorder and every vile practice. Man-centric wisdom, I'm going to the bottle. Man-centric wisdom, I'm going to the bottle simply because things at work aren't going the way I think they should go. I am not getting the respect that I believe I deserve in the position I'm in. I am mistreated by employees. I am, I am mistreated by those who are over me. And the best way to do, the best way for me to deal with that is at the end of every day have a shot or two. But then I walk in the house and my wife doesn't treat me the way I think she should be treating me. And my kids have no respect for me. They won't listen to me. Shoot, even things in the church don't go the way I expect them to go. My answer? Drunkenness. I'm going to hide from the very things that cause me the greatest challenge. I'm going to hide in the bottle. That's man-centric wisdom. But Paul goes on to say, but be filled with the Spirit, which is bringing us to our next source of wisdom, but let me say this. That sounds like a heart that is in complete torment, doesn't it? Completely tormented by life. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, arrogance, boasting, disorder, every vile practice. Hey, look, if you have this one place of disorder, it's not going to stay in this one place, it will explode and you'll experience every vile practice in your life. That's a man-centered wisdom. But James goes on to say, there is a godly wisdom that can be on display. So what does it look like when God's wisdom is on display? Look at verses 17 and 18. Man, if those three verses before were a torment, these are salve to the hurting soul. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. 
It is gentle. It is open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a heart, church, that is at rest. Look at its source. It's from above. It's not from the earth. This is a wisdom that we can count on and trust on with our very lives and the lives of those closest to us. We let God determine, not life. We let God determine, not us, how we should live in regard to the things that come our way. Man's response to God's wisdom. You see them there. It's a heart that's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. I want to park for a moment because we, we understand purity. It's like, for me, like purity, I go outside and I look at a, I look at a, a um, bluebird sky. There's not a cloud in the sky. It's as blue as can be. To me, that's an example of purity or, a, or a, a glass of ice water, purified ice water that you can see nothing in. Like, I see these things as being pure. And then, of course, of course, we know peaceable, someone that's not a troublemaker, um, and gentle. We all love gentle people, right? We don't love the ones that are ready to fight. But now listen, he comes to this one open to reason. Here's a question for you. God's wisdom is expressed by the one who is open to reason. And here's what that means. Are you in a discussion with someone? Imagine you're right now in a debate with someone that's approaching, it's, it's leaving debate and it's moving on to the realm of argument. Here's what open to reason is not. You're sitting there waiting and waiting for your opportunity to speak. And you're listening for a way to attack what's being said. This is, this is not a heart that is open to reason. The heart that is open to reason cares about what someone else has to say and trusts that God is going to work it out no matter what. Open to reason. And then, of course, full of mercy. We love mercy. We love to see people expressing good fruits, ones who are impartial. They don't show favoritism to the rich or the poor, James says in chapter 1. I believe it was 1. Source is from above. Man's response is pleasant. It expresses a heart that's at rest. And the outcome is this, a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's my heart's desire for my heart, that that would be the result of me receiving the wisdom of God. That's my heart's desire for my family. That's my desire for my church is that we would be a people that produce a harvest of righteousness by sowing peace. We are peacemakers. Now look at this. The result of a God-centered wisdom is this. On the contrary, remember the result for the one who is given to his own wisdom, the man-centric wisdom. What's it say? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, this is the outcome of the man-centered wisdom, disorder in every vile practice. 
Now tell me, which one should we trust in more? When we want a good result, should it be our own wisdom that produces disorder in every vile practice, or should it be God's wisdom that produces righteousness and peace? I know which one I want, and I trust you want the same thing. You want a heart that's at peace. You want to be among a people that, are, that desire to grow in their righteousness and looking like the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so I had this, I had this illustration, and I didn't know how to do it. I was like talking with Wendy. I think I'm going, to, I'm going to share this as though it's a friend of mine, but I'll end up messing it up, and you'll find me out anyway. One, one of the things I've learned um, through learning how to preach is you should never be the champion of your own illustrations. So please don't hear me being the champion of this illustration. Please hear, please hear the Holy Spirit of God bringing me to a place where I couldn't take it. I was in college, and where I went to college, you had to go to essentially two out of three chapels a week, chapel services. And I, this is why I never break the rules, because I always get caught. This is exactly what happened me and friends of mine, and I'm the driver, we drive down. For some reason, chapel was held at the, uh, the Capitol building in Huntington, Indiana. And uh, so we walk in, and we're standing there waiting for chapel to, I don't even remember what it was about, and it doesn't matter, waiting for chapel to start. And we're standing there looking at each other, the four of us, and we're like, how's anyone going to know if we leave? Because you turn your chapel card in for credit, and then you get your credit, and then once you've re- reached your like two-thirds of chapel services attended throughout the course of the semester, you're good to go. Well, we were like, all right, let's get out of here after we turned in our chapel cards. A day later, I get a call from the campus ministries director. So I'm living right now the man-centric wisdom. I don't want to be here. I want to do what I want. I have determined that this is what's best for me because the outcome would be I can go to breakfast earlier instead of sitting through this boring chapel service, man-centric wisdom. Campus ministries director calls me into his office and he says, hey, uh, I hear that you turned in your chapel card and you left right after you turned it in. So, guess what the man-centered wise one did? Nope, that wasn't me. So, he was like, all right. The campus ministries director, he, I knew him. Not just as the campus ministries director, but he was like, all right. Good enough, you can go. So I walk out, I go down the steps, I make it to the steps of the administration building and I turned around. I was like, I couldn't take it anymore. I can't live with this. And so praise God for the Holy Spirit of God that I had him and he was willing to bear with me. He marched me right back up the stairs, right into Jeff's office and I said, I can't live with that. Can't do it. I did do that, I confessed. And I wish it always went this way, church. He said, all right, I figured if you were willing to live with your lie, so was I. And I'm really glad to hear you couldn't live with your lie. I said, okay. I don't know what comes next. I said, okay. He said, all right, see you later. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's it. God poured his mercy out on me and didn't hold me accountable for a wrong I did. 
and I deserved whatever was supposed to come after that. But in His mercy, He didn't. In a moment, I chose poorly because I thought this was what was best for me. And in a moment, the conviction of the Holy Spirit said, no, you're going to listen to me now. You're going to turn around and go back up there. Praise God. Praise God. I wish I could say it always turned out that way. But sometimes it doesn't when we do wrong things. Right, kids? We get things that we don't want. And you know, that's a trial that I invited into my life that I praise God for today. But there are also uninvited trials that, we, that come into our lives. Listen to this. First Peter First Peter chapter 2, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. We endure suffering unjustly a lot. We do the right thing, and a good outcome, at least as we see it, doesn't come. Verse 20 says, for what credit is it Peter says, if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it. But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. You're going to suffer for my sake, Jesus says. Because Christ, why? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That is wisdom that comes from above. Doing it the way Jesus did it. You suffer even when you are unjustly treated. Wisdom says, God says, I want you to look like my son Jesus Christ in the midst of that. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Listen to this. Jesus committed no sin, neither was, he, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. That is the fullest expression of a man that's determined to follow the wisdom of God the Father. He was completely innocent, treated and mistreated in the most unjust way imaginable to mankind, and yet he walked to the cross with joy for you and me. And I bet you the heart of Jesus through all of that was a complete peace because he was expressing the righteousness of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? The one who with the meekness of wisdom is able to live his life out expressing the person of Jesus Christ. And so let me leave you with a question here. Well, a couple of questions. All right, so you're telling me that if I live a life of wisdom the way Jesus wants me to, that the ultimate outcome is going to be righteousness and a harvest of peace in your life. And the answer is yes, because the Bible says so. And so I suppose the question would be, so... What must I do to display the wisdom of God? How do I know what the wisdom of God is? How do I know what God wants me to do or doesn't want me to do? Well, James provides us with two Sunday school answers. You know what they are. Two Sunday school answers. If you want the wisdom of God, you simply have to pray and ask for it. 
This is how wonderfully simple James is. If you go back to James chapter 1 and look at verses 5 through 8, he says, if any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Wisdom that's from above. If any of you lacks that, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It's that simple. Now listen, I'm not going to stand up here and suggest that you are like Solomon, God, this is what I want. I want wisdom like this. And he's just going to say, bam, you are as next to Solomon in wisdom. I personally believe, and I've shared this with you before, that wisdom comes when we ask for it. God teaches us through the events and the circumstances of life. When we do it God's way, things go better. That's learning and growing in wisdom. When we do things our way, that's a lack of wisdom. That's man-centric, that's man-centric thinking, and we have torment in our hearts. Let him, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So when you ask, he's going to give it to you. And when you ask, you have to believe that he's going to give it to you, according to James. And if you don't, you are like a wave of the sea that's blown and tossed by the wind. If you doubt that God's going to give you wisdom, you're not going to get wisdom. You're going to be considered unstable in everything you do. Man-centered wisdom. And so when you ask, simply trust and be ready because he's going to use hard things and he's going to use good things to put your faith to the test as you ask for wisdom. All right, so what must I do to display the wisdom of God? Well, you have to simply pray and ask for it. And here's the second one. You have to commit to searching for it in the scriptures and then simply trust. James 1, verses 24, 21 to 25 say, Therefore, we're supposed to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with how meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, so brother in Christ, sister in Christ, you have already received access to the word of God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes this book and as we search in it and we dig in it, his wisdom in us becomes more and more complete. You receive with meekness the word that's been planted into you. And then verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. This book gives us liberty, not a heart that's a turmoil. Liberty. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres. This is the one who's not going to just simply hear the word and forget it, but he's going to become one that actually does it, living a life of God-centric wisdom. So, I have a question for you. I like questions because they provoke me to think a little more deeply. And I want you to be real with yourself. No one knows your thoughts but God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think it is. No one knows your thoughts except you and God. When you look intently into the mirror of the Holy Scriptures of God, what do you see? And this is where I pray right now, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God falls on this place. Because I 
have a great desire, and so do the elders, that this church is a church that's growing in righteousness and the expression of peace toward one another. When you look intently into the mirror, the holy scriptures of God, what do you see? Do you see a man whose heart is constantly tormented by his man-centric, selfish, selfishly ambitious, bitterly jealous heart that produces disorder and vile practice? Would that describe your heart? Or, or are you someone whose heart is at rest because he is receiving with meekness the wisdom of God and experiencing peace? Which one are you? Personally speaking, there are situations where I find my heart at torment. But then there are times where even in the midst of the hardest decisions I have to make, when I make them in accordance with the way God would have me to make a decision, even, in, even though the situation is hard, I experience his peace. So that concludes the word of God today. You know what's really crazy? These two, you pray for it and you ask for wisdom, and then you search the holy scriptures of God. I have the privilege of sitting here when it's my week to preach and pouring over this book. And it's like everything that the Word of God has to say in these few verses, it's impossible to declare it all. Impossible. And so I have this huge ball of wonderful things from the Holy Scriptures of God that I have to bring down to this. So pray for it and ask for it. But man, if you spend time in this word, God's wisdom is going to pour into your head. It's going to envelop your soul, and it's going to help you live a life in accordance with the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you as we, as we wrap up this portion of the service, and I am so thankful for your word. Thank you, God, for your wisdom. Lord, if there is anyone right now that does not have access to the wisdom of God through his Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would convict him, you would convict her, bring them to a place of humility and repentance, bring them to your feet, Jesus, and may they see you face to face. Thank you for your incredible word, and I pray that it would impact the hearts of each one that hears today, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.